This morning, uh, as we gathered for prayer before the services, I was so thankful Greg Butler said, uh, we need to pray for our country, and we really do. A lot of heavy hearts going on. I can't even imagine uh, the churches all in that Florida area and all the, the families that are just devastated. And so our prayer is for those families, and also pray for the churches reaching out to those families. Okay, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we begin uh, this morning, we want to step back and just um, remember that there are folks in the Florida area that are just uh, devastated right now. And Lord, we see examples that are beyond our imagination uh, of, uh, of a broken world. And so, Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your peace and your grace. And Lord, be with the folks that are working with the broken. Be with the churches that are reaching out. Lord, give them strength during this difficult time. Thank you for all that you're doing through your son. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. If you're new, we're in a series, and this is the last uh, part of the series called Room for Doubt. And today the theme is tolerance and truth at the exclusive claims of Jesus Christ. I and mean, what does that mean, the exclusive claims of Jesus Christ? Uh, one of the odd hobbies that I have, uh, Marie would probably call it a hobby, is I, I really like bumper stickers. Uh, I actually get up close sometimes, just take pictures of bumper stickers because sometimes they just crack me up. So I want to give you some examples of uh, bumper stickers. I don't know about you, but if you're not aware of this, I think Bloomington is the bumper sticker capital of Indiana. And if you don't like bumper stickers, don't go on Kirkwood because you'll see a lot of bumper stickers. So here's, here's some examples of here the international symbol of marriage, uh, total surrender. Okay, I kind of like that one. All right. Here's another one. I like that one. I bet Jesus would have used his turn signals. How many of you are behind somebody like that? Yeah, okay, good. Okay, here's another one. <laughs> if I'm ever on live support, unplug me, then plug me back in. See if that works. Okay, it's just, just kind of catchy. Now, here's one that you see all the time. How many of you have seen that one? Coexist. Okay. Uh, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting thought. And whenever I see that, or I see a T-shirt, or I uh, see somebody that's just uh, basically proclaiming coexist, uh, here's the question is, uh, do you want me to cooperate or do you want me to compromise? Because there's a difference. Uh, to cooperate means uh, I would love to hear your view. I'd love for you to hear my view. I'm here to listen and uh, I'm here to have discussion. But if somehow you want me to compromise what I believe, no way. And God doesn't want us to compromise what we believe. It would be great to see Muslims and Christians and Jews learn to coexist better in the Middle East, around the world? Uh, wouldn't it be great if the East and the West could cooperate, if Republicans and Democrats could get along, if IU and Purdue could get along? I mean, we can go all the way down the list, and we know cooperation is important. But you never have to compromise what you passionately believe about Jesus. I love what Eugene Peterson said. To follow Jesus implies that we enter into a way of life that is given character and shape and direction by the one who calls us. That's why these word, words mean so much in John 14, 6. I am the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. This morning, we're going to get into what I would call three myths about religion. Myth number one, all religions are the same. In other words, people are like, 
There are so many religions out there. Can you actually find truth? And I can tell you from the bottom of my heart, I believe you can find truth. And we need truth. Zechariah 8.19 says this. This is what the Lord Almighty says. The feast of the fourth, the fifth, and seventh, and tenth month will become joyful and glad occasions. And happily will have happy festivals for Judah. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. Don't you love that? In the Old Testament, he said, here's all these remarkable festivals, the, the festival of tents and the Passover, every festival you have, the foundation of all of those celebrations is this. Do you love truth? Are you passionate about truth? 2 Thessalonians 2.10 says, in all of the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing, they perish because they refuse to love the truth and to be saved. You see, the uniqueness of Christianity is rooted in the uniqueness in Jesus himself. I love this. Uh, someone once noted that other religious leaders say, follow me and I'll show you truth. And Jesus said, I am the truth. Other religious leaders said, follow me, and I'll show you the way to salvation. But Jesus said, I am the way to salvation. Other religious leaders say, follow me, and I'll show you how to become enlightened. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And still other religion, religious leaders say, follow me, and I'll show you the door that leads to God. And Jesus says, I am the door. Here's what I think Jesus separates from other religions. First of all, Jesus never liked religion. When he came to this earth, he came because of man-made rules that were not going to work. Man couldn't save himself. Emmanuel, Jesus came to live with us, to breathe with us, to cry with us, to laugh with us, to bleed with us, and to die for us. He didn't want to be in this huge building, and he didn't say, come and see me. He said, no, I'm going to come live with you, and it makes all the difference. When I was a senior in high school, um, uh, we got a new preacher, and uh, I remember uh, he, he was from Idaho. That was kind of weird. He had three kids, so I'm like, uh, he's no fun. You know, anyway, I remember he was, I thought he was an old guy. I remember back in the day, 26, 27 years old, he wasn't that old at all, but for me, and I remember back in the day, some of you remember, uh, we went to church every Sunday, Sunday night, Wednesday night. How many of you lived that life? Okay, good. We got out of it alive. Okay, so I remember going, and then now, not only did you go to church, you had to wear uh, a suit and a tie. So I remember wearing a tie nearly every Sunday. And the preacher had no options. He had to wear a suit and tie Sunday morning, Sunday night. Now, Wednesday night, he didn't have to wear his jacket. Well, he could get, he'd get wild, you know. So this new guy shows up. He's been there a couple weeks and um, seemed like a pretty nice guy. And it was a Sunday night. And so me and some of my buddies were sitting there talking about what we were going to do after church was over. You know, like this dude needs to wind it up kind of conversation. And my buddy had just got a new Jeep. And he said, hey... Um, got this new Jeep. We can get maybe four of us in the Jeep, and it's a lot of rain. We'll do some heavy mudding. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. And I said, how many? He said, four. I go, ah, we can get five guys in your Jeep. So anyway, we're plotting this all out. Uh, sermon's over. We're, we're ready to run out of the church, and uh, he's at the door, the, the minister, with his suit on. 
And he said, what are you guys doing? I'm like, oh, probably go home, you know, Bible study, light some candles, you know, same old thing, you know, and he's like, uh, um, you guys sound like you're putting something together there, like you're going to have fun. I'm like, well, my buddy here got a new Jeep, and he goes, uh, hey, John, do you know where the parsonage is at? And I'm like, eh, yeah, I think so. He goes, meet me there in about 15 minutes. So he walks away, and my buddies are like, what are we going to do with the, what is a parsonage? You know, I'm like, it's where the preacher lives. You know, anyway, why are we going to the preacher's house? I don't know. This is, I don't know. You know, are we in trouble? I don't know. You know, anyway, I just went back for it. So we show up at his house, and we're waiting there. Front door opens, and there he is in T-shirts and jeans. He walks out, opens his garage door. The dude had a Jeep. We're like, he's got a Jeep. And he goes, you got a tow rope? And we're like, no. And he goes, you're going to need a tow rope because we are going to go mudding. And I'm like, yeah. And we got out there. And I remember just laughing and carrying on. The next Sunday morning, he wasn't my preacher anymore. Does that make sense? He was more than a preacher. There was a guy that actually went out with us and wanted to know what we were into. That's what Jesus did. Every day, Jesus didn't say, oh, if you love me, make an appointment. Jesus said, no, I do love you. I want to spend time with you. That separates Jesus. When you look at all the other religions, that separates Jesus. The second myth is this. Christianity is a philosophy among many. It's no more valid than any other system of belief. And let me talk again about the word tolerance. In 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25, it instructs us, whoever we're talking to, about faith or religion, to not get involved in foolish arguments, but always remember the importance of gentle instructions. We need to realize that there are a lot of different belief systems. But for generalization, let me just say what I think a lot of belief systems have and what separates Christianity. I think in a lot of belief systems, it's about what you can do to earn your right to eternal life. How many things can you do well? And it's almost like this eternal checklist. Whereas Christianity says it has nothing to do with how well you do because we are what? Worthless. We cannot save ourselves. Romans 3.23, we are all sinners. Everybody in this room belongs to the sinners club. Everybody in this room is a part of the island of misfits, okay? All of us, that's who we are. We cannot save ourselves. Now, that almost seems depressing until you realize this. There was somebody who did something for us to give us eternal life. It's not what we can do. It's what's already been done. I love what Bill Hybel said years ago. He's a minister uh, at Willow Creek, and he just retired here after probably 40 years back in October. And this is a story that he shared he said he was with his wife. The church had given them like a second honeymoon, and he loves to sail, so they leased a little bitty sailboat. So he says, I'm down like in the Caribbeans in this little bitty sailboat. And somehow they met another guy who uh, thought that was really cute that the church gave him this little sailboat. They said, hey, we want to treat you tomorrow night. You can come on my boat, and uh, you can have dinner. Well, this thing was a huge yacht with all these people with, you can imagine, the money. And so they're just talking and sharing, and it was getting sunset. It's just beautiful there in the Caribbean. And Hybel said, you know, I need to get on our little sailboat and get back before it gets dark. Appreciate everything. 
there's a little ladder that drops down to the subway. He's halfway down this ladder, and here's all these folks with champagne in their glasses looking out the sunset, and guy yells out, hey, Heibel, I just found out you're a preacher. What do I need to do to be saved? Now, Heibel realized I have one minute to share the gospel. Now, think about that. Let me ask you, if you had one minute, what would you say? What would you say? Well, first thing you do is you pray, and that's what he did. He threw up a quick prayer, God, give me, give me something. And then he said, you know, that's a good question, but I think I have a better question. Your question is what I have to do to be saved. It isn't what you can do. It's what's already been done for you. The question is what's been done for you? Jesus died for you. You want to be saved? You, you do everything you can to find Jesus. That's a pretty good answer, isn't it? That's a great answer because that is the ultimate answer. We can't save ourselves. We desperately need a Savior. It's not about what we can do. It's what's already been done. Jesus, Jesus walked with us. I don't know about you, but I was blown away when the panel came here a few months ago and if you remember, they were folks that were spiritually seeking, and one of the panelists was actually an atheist. And Sean asked the question, what do you think about Jesus, and does Jesus exist? And do you remember their answer? Every one of them said, are there actually people that don't believe in Jesus? The guy who didn't believe in God said, oh, I believe in Jesus. I mean, historically, he walked with us. And then they said, we don't buy the resurrection, but we buy Jesus. It all starts with Jesus. Jesus separates everything. We can put our faith in his word. We can put our faith in Christ. Here's the last myth. Christians are narrow-minded when they say Jesus is the only way to eternal life. That's a big question. Let me give you two scriptures here, and, and these are deep texts, so we're going to just take a little bit of time in each one of those. First is Romans 1, verses 19 and 20. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without what? Excuse. So what is he saying there? He's saying, let's start with people struggling with, is God out there? Well, we need to realize God will do everything he can to search people out to bring him into his presence. And one way that he does that is look around nature. Uh, my kids got tired of me saying time and time again, don't ever waste a sunrise. Don't ever waste a sunset. And don't, don't ever be in such a hurry that you don't just breathe that deep. Take every one of those colors in because it's God's snapshots for us to say, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. Now, again, I, I don't like winter. Can I have an amen? amen? Yeah, good. I'm glad we're all in agreement there. And I, I would love to say that winter's beautiful. Eh, it's really not. But I love that winter gets us ready for spring. And I love the colors of fall. I just love color that God brings into our life. And I think it's God's way of saying, I'm here, I'm here. And then in Romans 2 is a question that a lot of people have, and that is, what about the people that live on the 
far corners of the world that have never heard about Jesus. How is God going to reach them? And in Romans 2, verses 14 and 15 says this, Indeed, when the Gentiles who do not have the law do nurture things required by the law, they are law for themselves, even though they have their hearts and their conscience are bearing witness and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and other times defending them. Now, this is a tough section of Scripture. So let me just try to simplify it. Let's look at the attributes of God. We know that God is all-knowing. We know that God is fair and merciful. We know that God is forgiving. We know that God reaches out to us with uh, unconditional love. We know that God is the ultimate judge. So what am I saying? For the people who are struggling with, what about the people on the far sides of the world? What is God going to do about their salvation? You know what I'm thankful for? That God is the judge and God is fair. And that's what he's saying. Paul's saying, listen, God knows a person's conscience. God knows everything. He knows our thoughts. He knows everything about us. Let me just share from my own personal perspective. Usually when somebody asks that question, they're, they're saying, what about the person you know, so many thousand miles away in the desert, he doesn't know, he's never seen a transistor radio. I mean, they go down this long ride. Really, the issue is not that person 20,000 miles away. You know what the issue is? The person asking the question. Why? Because they have heard about Jesus. How many times have they heard about salvation? It's easier to divert that. And here's what I love, that God is the judge. Do you want to be the judge? I don't want to be the judge, but I know that he's fair and that he's just. His thoughts are not my thoughts. That doesn't mean in any way that God is narrow-minded. I think God is laser-focused to show us through the fog of confusion. God wants us to find him through his son. And that doesn't make God narrow-minded. I'm so glad God isn't schizophrenic, that God is laser-focused with his plan. Here's why I think that's important. Last week, um, if you haven't had a chance, you go on the SOCC website, SOCC.org. Mark Middleberg uh, last week had a conference on a Sunday night, and he did a Q&A. And they'd ask these really difficult spiritual questions. And the folks asking the questions were having their own battles, spiritual battles. And so he took three minutes to answer these really tough questions. So it's outstanding. But one of the questions was this particular question, is, is God narrow-minded? And he said, you know, I think of God, he's not narrow-minded, but he says, I think about what I'm going to be doing tomorrow. And what he was doing was he was flying out of Indianapolis, and he was flying to Denver. He said, now, I don't know about you, but I want my pilot focused. Matter of fact, when he leaves Indianapolis, I want him to land in Denver, I don't want him to get over the Rocky Mountains and go, hey, let's try something fun. You know, let's, let's get different with this thing. I want him to land this thing. I want him focused. Now, I thought about in my life, uh, Jason and Becky Thompson were on a trip with me, and they, they experienced this too. And uh, some of the college students have is, is Honduras. They go to Honduras nearly every year. Uh, the airport in Honduras was ranked the second deadliest, that's probably not a good word, uh, the second most dangerous airport landing in the world, okay? You fly over these mountains, you kind of curl around, and then the problem is there's a very short runway when you land. Now, I don't need the pilot saying, hey, let's have a good time. Let's surprise some folks. 
Let's see how many can scream. You know, they don't, that, you don't want that at all. You want a pilot to say, here's where I'm landing this thing. I'm so glad God is saying, I want you to find my son. You see, there's a theory, and I don't agree with it. The theory is there's a thousand ways, a thousand different roads to find eternal life. That is so vague. But I believe there are more than a thousand ways. There are countless ways to find Jesus Christ. Think of all the stories in this room, and not one story is the same. Think about that. Everybody's sitting here. If you've given your life to Christ, you all came to Christ in a different way. Maybe it was a song. Maybe it was at a camp. Maybe it was a mission trip. Maybe it was through a conversation. Maybe it was a church. Who knows? But you found Jesus differently than anyone else. And that's what I love about God. He has this way of drawing people to Christ in countless ways. A few years ago, um, the elders and staff, we were praying about kind of next steps for Sherwood Oaks. And one of the things we had decided was we need to do something on the west side. We don't know what, but we need to at least start praying about God opening doors on the west side. So the first door that opened was the Cloverleaf Restaurant here on West 3rd, one of my favorite places to eat. And we would meet there every Wednesday night and um, have kind of a Bible study, but it was more of an exchange of spiritual ideas. And we used scripture and kind of a discovery group. And the family that owns the Cloverleaf, uh, a lot of them would come in and they would have provide us with snacks. It was, it was just great. We did that for a year and a half. And one of the guys, uh, his name was Chad, uh, every so often would uh, join our Bible study. And he didn't agree with anything we said, uh, but he'd throw in a few comments, and then he'd go back to the kitchen. And a few months went by, and I sit down with Chad, and I said, Chad, I'm, I'm never going to preach at you. I'm not that kind of guy. You know, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not like that guy, Mad Max at IU, that screams in a megaphone, you're going to hell. I said, I'm not that guy. But I said, I, I see so much in you. I said, if you ever want to talk about Jesus, I'd love to talk to you. He said, I don't know if I believe that stuff. I said, I know, I know, but I'm just saying we're here. So we were there about a year and a half. Then we launched. I honestly think that that was, that was the seeds for what's going on here. So a few years went by. And every so often, I'd get a chance to talk to Chad or some of his family members. And uh, about two weeks ago, sitting there on the couch, and Marie said, you'll never guess what I just read on Facebook, because she knows I don't read Facebook. And I said, what's going on? She said, um, this came to... Paula Bell, some of you know Paula, said um, this was on Chad's wife's Facebook account. Chad gave his life to Jesus Christ. And I said, read that again. And so Marie read it to me. And so I, every Thursday morning, I, I meet with a couple of ministers and we, we have a, a prayer time on the clo at Cloverleaf. And so I couldn't wait to get to the Cloverleaf because I just want to see if this was true. So I, I walk in and you, as I walk in, you can see the window where they're fixing the breakfast. And all of a sudden, I walk in, I'm kind of looking over, and all of a sudden, I see this head peek down. And it's Chad. And this look. And he goes, he's pointing like, dude, you got to meet me. And I, I'm, I'm getting a to the back, and I put my arms out. And he just holds me as close as he can. And I got his ear, and I said, dude, I can see it. You found Jesus, didn't you? He goes, I've been tingling for four days. I love that. 
And he said, I got to tell you how this happened. He said, the weirdest thing is that he said, I was having an argument with my wife, and she's a believer, and about how discontent I was. And she said, Chad, you need Jesus. And he said, I don't believe in God. Matter of fact, if God is real, I just, why doesn't he just strike me? And he said, I should not have said that. And he said, about an hour later, I got this intense pain. He said, then the pain went away, and as I was driving, I just got hit. I need Jesus. So he called a friend, a pastor. I love this. He called this pastor friend, and he said, I don't know what's going on, but here's what I need. He goes, pull over. And he said, uh, Chad, you need Jesus Christ. You want Jesus? Yes, I want Jesus Christ. And he said, okay, Chad. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, I want you to know what's coming. He said, okay. So, Chad, do you love your kids? He goes, you know how much I love my kids. How much do you love your kids? Oh, I'd do anything for my kids. Would you protect them? He goes, I would die for my kids. He goes, that's what's coming. That's the love coming your way. You are giving your life to Jesus, and Jesus is giving his life to you. And he said, John, I can't stop talking about Jesus. That's how it works.